Nancy, would you like to say something? Well, thank you, Mr. President, for the opportunity to meet with you uh, so that we can work together in a bipartisan way uh, to meet the needs of the American people. I think the American people recognize that we must keep government open, that a shutdown is not worth anything, and that you should not have a Trump shutdown. Uh, you have the, oh, the White House, you, Trump Trump oh. you have the White House, go you have the Senate, you have the House of Representatives, you have the votes, you should pass no, it No, we don't have now. the votes, Nancy, because in the Senate we need 60 votes. No, no, but in the House, and we, don't we have. could bring it up right now. Yeah, but today. I can't, excuse me, but I can't get it passed in the House if it's not going to pass in the Senate. I don't want to waste well, time. You, well, the fact is you can get it started that way. The House we could get passed very easily, okay, and we do. But the problem is the Senate, because we need 10 Democrats to vote, and no, no, they won't the vote. That's not the point, Mr. President. The point is, is that there are equities to be weighed, and we're here to have a conversation in a right. prayerful way, so I don't think we should have a debate right. in front of the press on this. But the fact is, the, Senate, the House Republicans could bring up this bill, if they had the votes, immediately, and set the tone for what you want. If we thought we were going to get it passed in the Senate, Nancy, we would do it immediately. We'd get it passed very easily in the House. No, that's we not would get it, Nancy, I'd have it passed in two seconds. It doesn't matter, though, because we can't get it passed in the Senate because we need 10 Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast tackling gender bias through conversation. I'm Annie Rogaski. As a reminder, and for any new listeners, in this spring season, my episodes will explore the different ways the man box restricts men from speaking up or acting in the face of gender bias. My first episode this season goes into the definition of the man box in quite a bit of detail, so if you haven't listened to it yet and you're curious about what the man box is, I'd encourage you to go back and listen, but as a reminder, it's the social constraints that we put on men to behave in manly ways, to be men, like to not show emotion or to be strong or stoic, that make it difficult for even male allies to speak up against gender bias. With each episode's topic, I plan to touch on how the man box impacts women, why it causes certain action or inaction in men, and what, if anything, we can do to ease its grip on all of us. This week's topic is mansplaining. I'm pretty steeped in this topic from the female perspective, from my own very extensive experience being mansplained to, and from reading about it. But I wanted to understand the male perspective on it and found that there was, in fact, a connection between the man box and mansplaining. For those unfamiliar with the term mansplaining, it is generally understood to be when a man tries to explain something to a woman in an oversimplified or condescending way regardless of his knowledge or her knowledge of the subject. If we thought we were going to get it passed in the Senate, Nancy, we would do it immediately. We'd get it passed very easily in the House. We would get it, Nancy, I'd have it passed in two seconds. So that was a video from the Washington Post of the discussion at the White House about the government shutdown. It has been uh, shared quite a bit as an example of mansplaining. In particular... President Trump trying to explain to Nancy Pelosi, who has been in the legislature for as long as I can remember, how the legislature works and how votes work in Congress. So it's a pretty textbook example of mansplaining. 
There are a lot of examples of mansplaining from very egregious examples to very minor examples. There is a flowchart that has made its way around the internet by Kim Goodwin that somewhat humorously walks through whether something is mansplaining or not. And it pretty much concludes that unless a woman asked a man to explain something to her, it's probably mansplaining. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's kind of a fun way to think about this topic. So how does mansplaining impact women? Rebecca Solnit shares her perspective on the impact mansplaining has. She explains, men explain things to me and to other women, whether or not they know what they are talking about. Some men. Every woman knows what I mean. It's the presumption that makes it hard at times for any woman in any field that keeps women from speaking up and from being heard when they dare that crushes young women into silence by indicating the way harassment on the street does that this is not their world. It trains us in self-doubt and self-limitation just as it exercises men's unsupported overconfidence. I'm sure the women listening can relate to that explanation. It's a subtle indicator about our perceived expertise and a message about belonging. It undercuts perceived authority when it's done in front of others it's another microcut of being made to feel like you don't belong where you are, that you're not competent. It feels like a power play that often comes at an unexpected time, which can knock you off your game. But if you challenge it, you risk looking petty and whiny. It doesn't come across as strong and competent when you defend yourself. It ultimately undercuts our perception as a leader, as an expert, so it has career implications for women. Elizabeth Ara McClintock, PhD, writes in Psychology Today, when a man explains something to a woman in a patronizing or condescending way, he reinforces gender stereotypes about women's presumed lesser knowledge and intellectual ability. This is especially true when the woman is in fact more knowledgeable on the subject. So this definitely has a negative impact on women, and most men likely don't intend that and may not even know it's happening. So this leads to the question, why do men do it? Why do they mansplain? And this is where I was intrigued that the man box seems to play a role in mansplaining. Mark Green, um, in an article on remakingmanhood.com, explains, boys form their friendships amidst a relentless barrage of microaggressions, bullying, callouts, and sarcasm designed to weed out any atypical performances of manhood force social conformity, and slot boys into the pecking orders that make up their social world. This explains a bit of how the man box fits in, that boys and men learn that pecking order matters, and you move up the pecking order if you know things. So, I guess if you appear to be an expert, or you sound confident in what you're saying, your status as a man improves. So that helps me understand a little bit about why men do it, and why they may not even realize that they're doing it because it's so ingrained in just finding your place in the world of men that it's probably a knee-jerk reaction for a lot of men. But I also learned, and you may not know this either, that men even mansplain to each other. Luke O'Neill wrote The Snowflake Diaries, Mansplaining to Other Men, an article in Mel Magazine in 2018. And he says... The desire to appear knowledgeable and correct in any given group is a powerful motivating force. This is an explanation by Zach Flegel of Philadelphia. 
The article continues, men think they're supposed to know things, and if they don't, they feel weird. So depending on the competitiveness of the group or the topic, it can be more combative or passive. In my experience with different types of groups, some personalities like to correct people, but that's usually just one guy here or there. For the most part, men just want to be correct to say, I told you so, or to feel validated, rather than be constantly correcting people. Similar to Mark Green's explanation, this suggests that there is an importance for men of knowing things or appearing that they do. And where this gets tricky is when men and women interact. In an article in Inc. by Jill Krasny entitled Why Men Mansplain Explained, describes Tannen argues that men talk to determine and achieve status, while for women, it's about making connections. Women view life as a network, while men view it as a ladder. When men and women get together, things can get interesting. A man may mention something he knows in order to establish his status, while a woman will acknowledge his point to make a connection. The man, meanwhile, will take this to mean she accepts his status, which may prompt him to launch into the dreaded mansplaining. So it's kind of interesting to see how this all comes together. It all points back to the man box. Men feel pressure to appear competent or knowledgeable so that they can find their place in the hierarchy or the pecking order. This is perhaps more easily done with a woman who is less likely to engage in a dispute over whether he actually possesses that knowledge than a man might, who might jump into the ring to establish who's alpha. And if the woman is attempting to build connections or a relationship, she's less likely to disrupt the mansplaining or tell him he's wrong or that she already knows that. That would likely cause conflict that moves away from establishing connections. So there's a lot bundled into the dynamics between men and women, what they bring to the table and their histories and social expectations of them. And that all comes to a head with mansplaining. So after digging into some research on the topic of mansplaining, I really wanted to talk with a man about it and get his perspective on whether this research is true, whether there's something else going on. So I enlisted my friend Sam Devins to sit down with me and have a chat. So here is our conversation about why mansplaining happens and some thoughts on what we might do about it. So tell me how to fix it, Sam. (laughs) How to fix mansplaining. Explain to me how to fix mansplaining. So I know you don't speak for all men. You speak from perhaps... Oh, I can here, speak for let all me, men. Let me woman-splain to you your experience. <laughs> so you're going to speak to us about your experience as informed by other things that you've heard about, but it's not just your experience, and it's yes. not the global masculine I have, I have experience. my finger on the pulse of, of, of most men, I think. I think I could speak for a majority of them. Okay. All right. And if, and if what you say someone doesn't agree with, then they are free to reach out to me and let me know, and I can share that perspective in the next episode. Or not share it. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Just don't share it with me. So I shared with you a little bit of the research that I did on mansplaining, and one of the theories that I came across was that men mansplain to gain power or status in a group. Do you agree with that explanation? Do you think that fully captures why men mansplain? Yeah, but that's way oversimplified. That's what's happening now as men are adults. But to truly understand it, you have to go back to when they were raised as boys. They weren't always like this. 
when when did boys start mansplaining? Was is there boy splaining or is it there only mansplaining? No, uh, yeah, there's 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 boy splaining. Sure, it just starts so early. We've talked about how boys aren't allowed to express their emotions. It's considered weak. And um, the more you know and the more the more capable you are, the more competent you're viewed. And that's where the pecking order starts. And so it starts in, like, say, Cub Scouts. You know, well, who's going to lead our troop? The boy who seems to know everything, mm. you know, the one that is mm. assertive and um, knows how to tie all the knots. And whether he knows or not, I think boys learn pretty quickly that you can, in some ways, fake it till you make it. So if you appear knowledgeable, that's good enough. Yes. You know, what's interesting is that, you know, they say you spend um, 10,000 hours doing anything and you become an expert at it. Mm -hmm. And this is um, an area where boys are experts. Like their existence is going to school, being part of a team, and understanding what it takes to rise or fall in a pecking order. Boys are very afraid of being called out, singled out. Of being different of being, or being like a girl? Of being about? different, mm-hmm. of being different. And so um, we learn the playbook and we kind of practice who our alter ego is going to be. And that 10,000 hours, even more than the 10,000 hours, is spent asserting ourselves whether we are totally knowledgeable about a subject or not you almost have to just kind of fake it, you know, because if there's any chink in your armor, other boys will see it or hear it and will attack. Boys become experts at kind of propping themselves up and not showing weakness. And a lot of that is acting like you may know more than you actually do, Mm -hmm. but then also defending it. If somebody says, oh, you're full of it, and then you have to be able to parry that. So that's how boys relate with each other, right? Like a boy will say, well, this is what I believe. And somebody said, no, you're wrong. And then it just goes back and forth. So that's in some way a competition that boys have with each other every day of their lives. So by the time they're adults, whether they know it or not, it becomes pathological where in certain situations, we feel that to be competent and valued and valuable, we have to be the ones with the answers, mm-hmm. right? Traditionally, over time, that's where mansplaining comes from. You talked about this alter ego, and it sounds a bit like men are creating a persona that is not truly them, but is giving the perception that they think they need to give to society about who they are. Is that accurate? When it's being formed, Okay. When they're boys, but once they become adults, that unfortunately becomes who they are. They forget. Oh, really? They, they, they shed the, the skin, and that is who they become. So and that's why whole... they don't even know they're doing it yeah. anymore. They're, yeah. they're, there's a lack of consciousness of, of men when they're doing it, and the effect it is having on both men and women. Yeah. Men get mansplained all the time. The power dynamic is different. Right. So talk to me a little bit about that, of, of what mansplaining looks like when a man mansplains to a man versus a man mansplaining to a woman. It, the context matters. 
we've all had managers or people that we report to that doesn't really know as much as they think they do. In a general sense, men are more apt to call them out on it. But again, it's it, you have to consider the context. Men have a lot more experience and have learned to be a bit more aggressive and don't necessarily shy away from the fight because they've had so many. There are times where you have to kind of defend yourself. And if you don't speak up, that reflects poorly on you. Hmm. Like men are supposed to challenge something that they don't believe in or if they think something is incorrect. You were talking earlier about how even if you don't know something or you're not an expert in a topic, as a man, you might have to fake it. Mm -hmm. And then if you're challenged, you have to back it up. Mm -hmm. And I can say that I have been on the other side of that conversation with men who will say something and I either think it's wrong or know it's wrong. And I push back and they dig their heels in. And it's so surprising to me <laughs> that it's almost like you can never get them to admit that they were wrong or that they didn't know. That's the thing. And that's, that's what I was going to say, that it's not only just admitting that whatever it is, uh, they might not be the most knowledgeable, but, but men traditionally have a hard time of admitting when they're wrong. And the undercurrent of that is fear. Fear of what? Fear of not being viewed as the most knowledgeable person in the in the room, as as a patriarch, you know, as a father. Like we're trying our best just to hold it together. And what will happen if my wife or my kids, and I'm speaking generally, um, find out that I don't know everything? You know, like what will happen? You know, and the weight of that is stifling for a lot of men, mm. but they will defend it tooth and nail because if they were to admit that they were wrong, say it's a manager, oh darn, you know, I, I was totally wrong about that, you're right. To a man, they will think that outside observers will see that, and if it happens enough, they'll say, well, why don't we get Annie to be the manager? Because Annie, Annie certainly has, uh, you know, has been proven right. So you're no longer competent if you, if you admit not knowing something right. or being wrong. Yep. Men know when they don't have a particular point locked down. Mm -hmm. But to concede the point is unmanly. Like, we, we, we're fighters, and we will, even if we're wrong, and this is what sucks about being a guy, and, like, even the conversations that you have with other guys, you both know, like, there's this elephant in the room, which is the truth. <laughs> and you both kind of know, but... You have to negotiate kind of a, a middle ground. Like, I don't think one side is going to be like, you know what? You're totally right. I was totally wrong. You know, let's so, go Let's go get a taco. So <laughs> even if it's an, an objectively provable point, there will be a negotiated alternative reality just so guys Sa can to save, save face. face. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're on the other end of it, you have to allow them... <laughs> Um, an out, you know, just be like, you know what, who cares? Because nobody wants to like walk away upset. And you certainly don't want to make enemies. It all sounds so ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And it's so <laughs> complex. That's why when you said this was the topic, I was like, oh God. You guys have a lot going on in your heads. Absolutely. Absolutely. You and I were talking uh, separate from this 
podcast about whether women should speak up more and the responsibility that women have to speak up um, to interrupt the man box or to uh, gain equality. And we have slightly different perspectives on this. And I think, ironically, our perspectives are different than I would expect a male perspective and a female perspective to be. Mm-hmm. Although I do think they make sense when we dig into the background. Mm-hmm. My view is that women have been fighting for a long time. Uh, we take hits every time we point out gender inequality. Um, it gets tiring. It sounds different when a woman says, hey, you're being mean to me, is how I think it's perceived a lot when we speak up, as opposed to a, man's, a man saying, hey, what the hell, why are you mansplaining to her? Um, it's a different power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think that because of the disparate power between men and women in the workplace, that women pushing and speaking up, um, there's more at risk for women than for men. Mm -hmm. And so my perspective was men need to step up more and be partners with women in fighting against gender inequality. Mm -hmm. And your perspective that you shared with me yesterday, and I'm hoping you'll share on this episode, is you want to see women fighting more. And there was a particular reason that went into the male dynamic of power that I thought was really interesting. So that's what I wanted to hear more from you about. Why I think women should speak up more? Yep. I don't think we get anywhere by being silent, right? Can we agree on that? Sure. Is it safe and easy to call something like this out? No. Will there be um, repercussions? Yeah, sure. I just, I hate a bully and I know that women have been bullied for a long, long time, and I know that women are fed up. I just don't know of any other solution other than fight, fight back, you know? Because why? Why does fighting work? That is the language that men understand. And men are almost daring you to fight back. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that men mansplain as much as they do and why they might do it more with women because they view women as weaker. They might be less apt to do it around men because men will push back. Men will call out BS. And context matters and pecking order matters and the power dynamic matters even with men. But I think men kind of mind their P's and Q's more around other men than they do with women. And I think the reason why is because women traditionally are less apt to say something or to fight back or to be back on their heels and be emotionally injured. And when you're emotionally injured, it's hard to form a coherent, calm um, response or to call it out, you know, I get that way where I'm like, I can't even like open my mouth right now. I'm so upset, Mm -hmm. you know? So I get it. If men continue to perceive women as weak, they'll continue to mansplain and, and a litany of other things Mm -hmm. that, that men, that, that dynamic between men and women will continue. And it's not going to be pretty. Um, but I do think that there is a moment in the last couple of years with me too, that women are being heard more And I think women need to keep their foot on the gas rather than 
thinking that um, men are going to have a collective kind of consciousness of mm-hmm. like, holy cow, we need to change this within our ranks. But if there's one thing that I can suggest that I would truly love to see more of is um, to see, God, I was going to say to see more fight. And I know that women have been fighting for a long, long time. So it's hard to say that, but a different type of, like it needs to be sustained. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that there's a lot at stake, you know, because women, you speak up, you might lose your job or get demoted or whatever. And they are mothers and breadwinners. And I, I understand why they don't. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a very real risk for a lot of women to speak yeah. up and economic risk. And so I don't disagree with you that women should fight more. I totally agree with that. And I think a lot of uh, our listeners would agree with that too, women in particular. Um, but I do think that we need allies. We Absolutely. need people who back us up and um, support that effort and speak up too, because mm. I do think that the more people in power, which tends to be men, yeah. um, who don't allow the mansplaining and other man box related stuff to happen, the more, like, what I think should happen in addition to women fighting, and we've been fighting forever and we'll continue to fight because it directly impacts us. It's a male backup. Is male male leadership, actually. Okay. So um, in my own uh, career, I've had men who um, fully supported me, mentored me, sponsored me, um, and they were um, publicly supportive of women. And they weren't your, I mean, they were, they were masculine men and they were powerful yeah. men, but they didn't come across as needing to keep women down, to keep their power. And they would speak up against inequality when they saw it. And so I see examples like that and think we need more powerful men. And why isn't this power that moves you up on the pecking order, right? Mm. That if there are men speaking up about gender inequality, then that gives the freedom to, to women who are in that same work environment to speak up. And it makes it okay for other men, or if they see a leader who takes that position, then maybe they need to support that position to move up the ranks. So to me, there's this, I, I think of it as seeding, like there are these seeds all over where there are powerful men who see gender equality as really important and are willing to put their reputations at stake to support it. And to me, the more men in power we have who support it, the more women will feel like they can speak up and fight and not lose their jobs, lose the promotion, lose equal pay, whatever. Right. Um, so to me, it's it's a it requires both genders to be a part of that. Yep. But um, I absolutely agree that women should not stop fighting. But we've been fighting for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that that most women have identified. If you haven't identified men who are peers in your place of work, um, please do so. And have those coffee, like go out and get coffee and just test the waters and see if that's even something that they would be receptive to. Those conversations lead to maybe someone backing you up in a meeting because they are aware of it now, whereas before they might not have. It, it starts with small conversations, and if you have enough of those, hopefully when the chips are down 
and you play that card um, and you are defending yourself, at least you have some witnesses, whether they say it or not, speak up, and I hope they do, um, but at least you have people in the room or in that place of work that are on your side. And I think knowing that mm-hmm. is um, will embolden someone to actually feel that they can defend themselves rather than, I mean, if you're on your own. Yeah, it makes a big difference if you know you have allies. if you feel like, boy, I'm the only squeaky wheel. Like, am I going to be the only one who says something about this? I know that makes, that that's got to make women feel absolutely crazy. You know, like, am I the only one who hears this and sees this and mm-hmm. is affected by this? I can't imagine. What I liked about this conversation with Sam is that there were specific concrete examples that he was able to come up with of what we might do going forward. He had suggestions that I think impact both men and women, such as actually speaking up when mansplaining or other gender bias occurs, whether you're male or female, and also talking with each other so that we can better identify when things happen that are offensive to women and develop those allyships that make it easier for women to speak up. Bringing this back to how I started this episode with a clip of Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump, what I really like about what Sam was talking about and the idea of women fighting back is I think we saw that exemplified by Nancy Pelosi. She knows Congress. She knows how the legislature works. She's been in it for decades. And so she was able to stand her ground and speak up and not take mansplaining quietly. She is arguably the most powerful woman in the United States, so I would hope she would be able to speak up. And it certainly can be more difficult for other women who don't share that power. But I think it's a great example of what happens when we do speak up. So to Sam's point of women fighting back, I do appreciate that there can be negative impacts on us from doing so. But those who have more power, I think, have more responsibility to take that mantle and speak up more to protect those coming up below us who have less power and could be affected more. So hopefully we see more women and men speaking up about mansplaining and gender inequality in general. If you have other suggestions, let me know. I'd love to hear them. And if you have thoughts on this episode, let me know that as well. You can reach me at unravelingpink at gmail.com. You can direct message me on Twitter at unravelingpink. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your feedback. It's been an interesting new chapter to learn about the man box and to talk with more men about what's going on in their heads. So thank you for joining me. If you have suggestions for future episodes, let me know. And next week I will be back with a new topic. (laughs) 